0: Uh, just a quick question. How many of you in this place have been married a year or less? Raise your hand. I want to know how this turned into the newlywed section. <laughs> it's like all the newlyweds are migrating over to my, uh, my far left. Congrats, everybody. Hey, take your Bibles, please. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapters 12, 13, and 14. If you're new to fullness, we are so glad that you're here with us today. If this is your first time, uh, welcome. I want to preface the entire morning by saying this. We are a church that fully embraces the Word of God and the Spirit of God. 100% of both. 100% of the Word of God, 100% of the Spirit of God. Not a 50-50 proposition like we choose which part 50% of the Bible we want to go with or 50% of the move of the Spirit we want to go with. We want to embrace fully what God has for us in his word and by his Spirit. And having said that, if you're new to fullness, welcome. You came on Tongues and Interpretation of Tongue Sunday. Um, This is your first time. Uh, There is a reason for this. We're doing a Bible study on the spiritual gifts, the gifts of the Spirit. And this is one of them. So we're just going down the list and, and looking. And I, I want to say this. I recognize, going right into this, the discomfort, the unknowing, the just issues surrounding this topic. But I, I want to say this with all faith. I believe the Word of God is active. It is living that no word, no word from God is without power. If God decided to place tongues as a gift and in his word, there's got to be a reason. Hello? Somebody could say amen and agree with me. Otherwise, it's going to be long already this morning. I just want to let you know. But if you're not with me, it's going to be even, be even longer. Let's just back up just a little bit. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 12. Remember, there are three different gift lists in the Bible, spiritual gifts. There's 1 Corinthians 12, Romans 12, Ephesians 4. Right now, we're looking at these manifestational gifts, as they're called, out of 1 Corinthians 12. And I'm just going to try and slow down, breathe, because I know I have a lot to cover, but I want to do it in a way that communicates the grace and glory and beauty of God's plan for our lives. Paul says this, about spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be ignorant. The implication here, they're ignorant. Paul is writing to a church in Corinth that is way, way, way out of whack. Um, This church is problematic. This is the problem child, really, of Paul's starts. Uh, They've got sin, they've got... The Lord's Supper, which we're going to take later, communion, they're they're taking it, they're excluding some, they're including others. The richer get better. They're in a mess in so many ways. they got a guy sleeping with, there's an incestual relationship going on. There's just so many problems. One of the problems that they have is they've elevated a certain spiritual gift to such a place of prominence that it's become like it, it's the, it is the gift in their church, evidently. They, they made this gift so important, they're neglecting the other gifts. And it just so happens that that gift is the gift of tongues. They have somehow equated tongues with angelic speech, Um, it seems as if, and I'm getting most of this by a commentator uh, named Gordon Fee, uh, a Pentecostal commentator who wrote what I consider the best commentary on 1 Corinthians. And he outlines this in depth where they are emphasizing this gift of tongues. And Paul is starting out this passage by saying, I don't want you to be ignorant about spiritual gifts. And he's going to talk about how every gift is important that no body part is more important than another and he's going to get to the place at the end of chapter 12 where he's going to say let's compare your favorite spiritual gift tongues with my favorite spiritual gift prophecy and see really which has a greater weight within the body of Christ what is what what progresses us further your gift or my gift and it's not my gift. It's just one, the one I like. And he, by the way, is going to say along the way, I do speak in tongues. Matter of fact, I speak in tongues more than all of you. I wish you all speak in tongues. He's not going to downplay tongues to the point of saying it's, it's nothing. But he is going to say there are some things about tongues you need to be aware. 1 Corinthians 12. 1 Corinthians 13. In between 12 and 14 falls 13. And you know... Thanks, thanks for staying with me, math geniuses. And in here, in 13, he's going to b- do that beautiful chapter of love that we do at most weddings. But the, it's incredible to me that chapter 13 is really a long, uh, part of a longer discussion about spiritual gifts. He's saying, look, if I have the tongues of men and of angels but don't have love what good is it? If I could prophesy about everything, if I had all knowledge, if I had the faith to move mountains but don't have love, what good is this? So this chapter on love is not like, Paul didn't say, you know, 2,000 years from now, people are going to be having weddings. They need something to read. And so I'm going to put this chapter out there for them for that day when their wedding comes. No, he's, he's putting it into the middle of What does it mean to be a part of the body of Christ? What does it mean to really walk out spiritual gifts? And he's going to ultimately say, gifts are not about power, they're about love. Love is about communication of the good news of Jesus Christ. And if you don't put them all in this framework, if you separate them out, they're going to be like clanging gongs. They're not going to have meaning. They're going to be like a blowing a trumpet that has an unclear There's so many illustrations that we could use. Then in 14, he's going to come back to a further discussion, which we're going to look at in about a month, on intelligibility in worship. What does it mean to be a worshiping people? And what is public worship supposed to look like? But in 12, just moving along, he says, <coughs> excuse me, Therefore I tell you no one is speaking by the spirit of God says Jesus be cursed and no one can say Jesus is the Lord except how Your ability to call Jesus Lord actually is because the spirit of God is in some way drawing you to the name of Christ it's not about me intellectually convincing you it's not a decision of your mind it's a spiritual revelation Just as it was to Peter when Jesus said, Peter, flesh and blood hasn't revealed this to you. It's been revealed to you by my Father who is in heaven. There's a drawing to the name of Christ that comes only by the Spirit of God. He goes on and says, there are different kinds of gifts, but the same, what, who? There's a unity here that we have to recognize. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but the same God works all of them and all men. We looked at this passage last week, took it apart a little bit. not going to do it today. Now to each one, to whom? Each one. You know, just look to your right and left. Yes, them too. Each one, the manifestation of the spirit is given for what purpose? the common good. We're going to come back to that later. Give some gifts and then he goes and he's listing them, and we looked at we've looked at all of these, faith, Healing, miraculous powers, prophecy, distinguishing between spirits, and here we go, to another, speaking in different kinds of tongues, and still another, the interpretation of tongues. Here is the question you have to determine, answer, decide on, for any of this to mean anything. We we looked at it a little bit last week, but here's the question you have to answer. Are all spiritual gifts available today are all spiritual gifts available today? Now I'm not asking for you to say yes or no, and let's take a vote. I'm saying for you personally, this is the critical question you have to answer because if you answer, no, I don't believe all spiritual gifts are available today. I guarantee you the first one off of your list is going to be tongues and interpretation. And then probably prophecy. And then uh, probably words of knowledge, words of wisdom. The list will just go down. You know, apostles, that was then. I'll stop there. You know, you're going to predetermine in your mind which gifts have ceased and why. I I do want to say that I looked at the various views last week of cessation of gifts why some people think they have ceased. The major passage actually comes from this passage in chapter um, 13, which says, but where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when perfection comes, the imperfect disappears. The great argument in this is what is perfection? When perfection comes, when the perfect comes, the imperfection disappears. And there are those in the body of Christ who will worship with in heaven, who believe that perfection has to do with Scripture. Now, I believe Scripture is perfect in its own way, but I do not believe in any way that that is the perfection that that Paul is referring to here, because he's going to go on and talk about, hey, we know in part, but then we're going to know in full. We know we're partially known now, but then we'll be fully known. The then he is talking about, I believe, clearly is, has to do with the return of Christ. The, when the second coming, the end time, the eschatological aspects of this passage, not when scripture was codified, not when the canon was complete, not when the apostles died out, but rather he's talking about a future time. Believe it or not, in my understanding, this is the only scriptural possibility for an explanation for why gifts have ceased. Anything else is even a further stretch from this. But nonetheless, you, you have to determine for yourself, are gifts, all the gifts available for today? I have to, in my story, which I won't go on too long about, I was in my 20s. I was searching for more. I've told this story many times about how I I was really trying to figure out what was I missing from the Christian life, that I lived the Christian life to the best of my ability, the strength with all I had. I was a strong, moral person. Uh, I was going to church. I was leading music in church. I I was committed to church. I'd gone to a, a Baptist college. I was in a Baptist seminary. And I was totally miserable in my Christian walk. And I determined to figure out what it was that I was missing in this Christianity thing. Surely God had more than just save me, try not to screw up too bad till you die uh, and go to heaven. Or maybe if you got lucky, Jesus would come sooner. That was kind of the Christian walk I was living. And I came in contact with people who introduced me to the person who worked with the Holy Spirit. Again, a longer story. I've told it before. But here's the kicker. The one thing that kept me for time from fully embracing the personal work of the Holy Spirit was the gift of tongues. I, God, I'll do anything, but not that was my mentality. I do not want that. I don't want that gift. I don't, it's it's nuts. It's, you know, in my head, I'm just giving you, you know, it's tongues, and the next rung down is snake handling. (laughs) You know, in my head, it was just like, okay, this is like ignorant. This is where we are. And I just didn't want to go there. And so for a time, I just held back and said, I'm not I, I, I would give myself to the work of the Spirit, but the more I looked at it, the more I'm like, I can't justify that all the gifts are done. If I really walk in all the gifts, maybe he's going to stick me with that one. <laughs> you know, it's like the same mentality of saying, hey, what, you know, um, i give my life to God, but I know he's going to send me to Africa. Uh, if I give my life to God, I'm going to be called to be a missionary. I can't live in here. I can't go, you know. It's that mentality, like, we're afraid, so afraid, of what God might do to us that we don't walk in what God wants to do with us and in us. And it was only to the point where I came to embrace and say, God, you know what? You're God. Whatever you want to do, I take it. Whatever you want to do in my life, I receive it. Now, the night that I was prayed for, and I, I call that the release of the power of the Spirit in my life, I did not speak in tongues. It wasn't like, Boom. I spoke in tongues that time. Uh, actually, that came much later. God was very gracious in my, in my life. There are other people, though, who are like, yes, I want it all. I want, those. I want that stuff. I want those demonstrative gifts. I love that stuff. I want. They're not like me. They're not like standing at arm's length. They're like running into it. Like, this is what I want got a couple more moving stories for you uh my trip with my son because <laughs> i got tons of them and i've got some illustrations i gotta do so anyway uh, i was moving with jared 3,000 miles across country he's moving to oregon we're driving this truck um uh, the, this this truck at, uh, towing this car i think they have governors on them which restrict the speed so it would only go <laughs> 70 miles an hour that's it 70 miles an hour you know Dead gummit. The, the speed limit in Wyoming is 80. I feel like they ought to put it on at least what the speed limit is, but they didn't. So the fastest it will go is 70. So an uphill, maybe 30. <laughs> you know, when it's loaded and you're dragging a car and there's some steep hills, by the way, between here and Oregon, if you didn't know that, there's some whole mountain ranges. So you're going uphill and you're just barely getting up there over here. You're wondering, am I gonna make it? There are a couple of times I turned to Jared and said, I think I can, I think I can, kind of thing. you know. And so we're, we get to this one place in Wyoming where it's like a steep downhill and the road goes up the other hill. You can see the road for like 10 miles at least. And so um, I, didn't, I didn't put my foot on the gas. I just took, didn't put my foot on the brake. And so, yeah, so we're going downhill. And I'm like... Hey, Jared, we're going 72, 72, and so we're looking at the speed, the speedometer, and every time it went up, we're like two-year-olds. It's like 73, 74, you know, kind of yelling it out. We got to 80. We made it to 80. We go up the hill. We're still driving along. We're almost to our destination. I hear this noise, and, um, and Jared goes, what was that? I don't know what that was. I look behind the, the vehicle, and there's some blue stuff floating uh, down the highway. And I'm like, um, I don't know. I don't know what that was. But I think we ran over something. And you can't really see the trailer behind the truck. You know, the truck's like 28 feet, 26 feet. I don't know what it is. Can't really see the trailer. And Jared's looking at his mirror. I'm looking at my mirror. He says, hey, I think we've got a flat tire. And, he, and then he goes, No, no, I think we blew out the tire. We blew it out. So, uh, yeah, sure enough, the blue stuff I saw was the fender, and the tire was, like, totally blown. And uh, we're such idiots. It took us, you know, like, a day later to say, hey, do you think us going 80-something miles an hour might have contributed to us having a blow-up? Maybe this thing isn't supposed to go that fast. We, I know, we're, we're geniuses. Here's the point. Sometimes we just rush headlong into stuff saying, this is so fun, this is so fun, without seeing what might be the purpose and plan of God. I'm sure somewhere in this truck it said, do not drive this trailer over X miles an hour. But we didn't read it because we really didn't want to know. Do we operate that way sometimes in our lives? God has given us, I think, clear instructions on, for instance, this gift, tongues, and interpretation, and how we're supposed to walk in it. So I'm going to look at a lot of scripture. There is a lot we don't know. A lot. But there is, I think, enough here to give us some clear instructions about what is tongues and what is its purpose and how it's supposed to be used this is partly a two-part sermon because i'm going to come back to it in a month when i talk about intelligibility in worship but let's just get an overview what is the gift of tongues well the first time we really see it is in acts 2 when the holy spirit falls and it says in acts 2 four, all of them i mean all the believers who are praying were filled with the holy spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the spirit enabled them so they started speaking in tongues and it's public and the city is jammed that day and people start gathering around and start saying what's going on here what's happening in this group these people must be drunk speaking in other tongues which should give you some indication what paul is going to talk about how unbelievers see tongues Their first reaction was not, oh, wow, this is awesome. But rather, these guys must be drunk. They heard what was being spoken in their own language. Um, It it was clear. Great argument in the church. So where was the miracle? Was it in the hearing or was it in the speech? Were they speaking known languages or were they hearing known languages? I, I don't know. I tend toward the speaking end but it's unclear. In either case, they were hearing the believers declare. First time, but it's a language, known language. Um, The next time tongues comes up is, and I'm going to come back to these in a little bit and clarify a couple of things about it, is in Acts 10. In Acts 10, um, this is the story of Cornelius who is really kind of seen as the first Gentile believer to come into into faith. And Peter, you know, the, the sheet with the food on it and all the dreams and visions they've had, he goes and preaches the gospel and says, While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers, that's Jewish people, circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles. For they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. The word tongues here, exact same word tongues in Acts 2. Doesn't say anything about a known language, unknown language, prayer language, anything like that. It just uses the word tongues and says they heard them speaking in tongues. What it was, we, we have no more clarity than what I, just, what I just told you. But it was a sign, we're going to look at this, to the Jews that the Gentiles have not only been saved, but they'd also received the Holy Spirit. Then over in Acts 19, we see Paul in a missionary journey. He's gone to Ephesus and he finds some uh, believers. But they're not even believers. They're, they're, they're disciples of John the Baptist. All they've heard, they've been baptized with water, but they, they don't know Jesus. They don't know the crucifixion. They don't know the resurrection. They've not been baptized into Jesus. Paul preaches them the gospel. The Holy Spirit comes on them, and they spoke in tongues and prophesied. It's a phenomenal story. And again, it, it talks about the difference where Jan, John came to baptize with water and Jesus came to baptize with the Holy Spirit and with fire, which are the seven, six of the seven references in the New Testament that have to do with the baptism of the Holy Spirit are a comparison between John's baptism and Jesus' baptism. These are John's disciples. They've been baptized with water, but not in Jesus with Holy Spirit and with fire. In Acts, those are the only three times we actually have tongues explicitly talked about and I think there are reasons for that sign that the Holy Spirit was being given. There's another place in Acts 8 where the Samaritan believers, uh, the Samaritans. So by the way, this, if you follow Acts very well, this is a side point, and I don't have time for side points, so don't get me distracted, all right? But a side point is that it is the Great Commission fulfilled. You have Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, Gentiles, uttermost parts of the world. You see it carried out. Um, people coming to know in faith, filled with the Spirit. In this, it's the Samaritan believers that said Peter and John placed their hands on them. They'd received, they'd been, um, Philip had preached the gospel to them. They've received it. They go to look. John, Peter and John come. They received the Holy Spirit. Notice, no sign of tongues here uh, in their reception. Some people were, Some people would argue that it's not mentioned, but it's implied. How how did Simon, the sorcerer, know, and why did he want this gift and said, offered them money for the gift? There must have been something that happened. Well, yeah, they received the Holy Spirit. But we don't know what the sign that they received the Holy Spirit was in this passage. It's It's not mentioned at all. Other passages that kind of talk about it a little bit, in Mark 16, 7, um, Dave's going to teach you all about Mark when you come on Wednesday night to our class. Um, he, he, he is like one of the world, I'm telling you, one of the world experts on the gospel of Mark. Um, it, it, we talk about Mark a lot. and But there is what's called the longer ending of Mark. In other words, the, the last part of chapter 16 is not included in the earliest manuscripts of Mark. It seems to have been a- added sometime second or third century. Now, most of the stuff you find in Mark, longer ending of Mark, is found in the other Gospels in some way, so you can take it. But this saying of Jesus, and these signs will accompany those who believe in my name. They will cast out demons. They will speak in new tongues. And then it goes on and talks, mentions, mumbles something about snakes. And. Um, <laughs> It's in the longer, longer ending of Mark. Um, so we don't know that this, this is an actual saying of Jesus. Could have been added in the second or third century. Here's what, here's, this is a key to think about just as a side point. Let's say it wasn't in the early, earliest, that Jesus never said it. But the church must have still been practicing it two or three centuries later in order for it to at least be mentioned. That um, So those who say that tongues died out with the apostles, the first apostles, I think even this argument might come against that possibility, that the second, third century church still was recognizing that um, tongues was playing a part in the church. Uh, And then in 1 Corinthians 14, it says, for if I pray in a tongue... My spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. So what shall I do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will also pray with my mind. I will sing with my spirit, but I will also sing with my mind. So here's here's just a side point. The three passages in Acts and then 1 Corinthians 12, 13, 14, only places in the Bible that tongues is mentioned. Acts 2, It's important, but when Paul comes back to it, the only reason we even know about tongues is because you had a church that was misbehaving, which I find (laughs) unique. That The only reason it's even discussed is because they get to a point where they're like, tongues is it. Tongues is the big gift. It's the most important one because I'm talking in the tongues of angels. You don't talk in the tongues of angels? You must not be as... It's, imp- it's incredible to me how 2,000 years later, we, we, we've, we fall into the same stinking traps uh, about what matters and what's important. I'll come back to that. That was just another freebie. Um, but so Paul is saying, look, one of the things you do is you pray in a tongue, and there's a reason. Pray with your mind. Sing with the tongue. Sing with your mind. Sing in the spirit. So people throughout the ages have at times equated Praying in the Spirit and wherever it's mentioned as praying in tongues. Uh, Paul does mean that here. But does Paul mean that in Ephesians 5.18, and praying in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests, with this in mind be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints? Is he referring to tongues here or is he not referring to tongues or do we not know? Uh, by, by the way, it's C. We don't know. We don't know. Um, if he's talking about tongues or not. I I know this. He is not explicitly talking about tongues. In other words, you can pray in the Spirit without praying in tongues. How? Because the Holy Spirit indwells you and you pray. That'd be like saying to everyone who doesn't have the gift of tongues, you know, I'm sorry, you can't pray in the Spirit. You can't pray filled with the Spirit because you don't speak in tongues. That's the only way to pray in the Spirit. And I don't think that's what Paul is saying. I think he may be saying it is or it isn't kind of thing. The other passage has to do in Jude where he says, but you, dear friends, build yourselves up in your most holy faith and pray in the Holy Spirit. We pray by the power of the Holy Spirit. Talks about it in Romans, by the way, that we intercede with, because of the Holy Spirit that indwells us. And the Holy Spirit intercedes with groans that words can't even express. Again, I don't think that's a reference to the Holy Spirit praying in tongues, but I do believe that there is a prayer that comes out of the very heart that transcends words. We, we all good so far? Okay, here we go. Let's, let's move on. What's the purpose of, uh, excuse me, what is the content of tongues? What's the content? In other words, if we do speak in a tongue, what does the Bible say about what it contains? What's in it? Well, very quickly, it's about the praise of God. In Acts 2, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. What did they hear in Acts 2? The the wonders of God. They heard people praising God. So what they heard was not, please listen to me, it was not the gospel. In, In other words, it wasn't the good news. Oh, Jesus died, crucified. It seems that that's why Peter follows up with a sermon that explains the God. The, they, they hear in their own language people declaring the wonders or praise to God. And then the follow-up is, let's preach. In Acts 10, again, the praise of God. For they heard them speaking in tongues and doing what? Praising God. That's, so part of the content of tongues is praising God. Another part of the content is the mysteries of God. For anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to who? So it's not a horizontal gift most of the time. It's a vertical one. Speaks to God. Indeed, no one understands him. He utters mysteries with his spirit. Content has to do with the mysteries of God and then prayers of supplication. Praying in the spirit. The the reference I just gave you is this idea of, of praying in the spirit. Now, here's my point. I'm going to come back to it again in just a little while. We've equated somehow tongues with other stuff. If the content of tongues is the praise of God, the mysteries of God, and prayers of supplication, then it seems as if the gift of tongues and interpretation of tongues is different than the gift of prophecy. And yet, a lot of times, people equate them together because they've connected something that isn't necessarily connected. Or they've disconnected something that isn't necessarily disconnected. So um, again, going back to another fun moving story, I'm, was uh, <laughs> Jared and I after we finished our journey. Um, we're at a gas station somewhere. I think it's Nebraska, Wyoming. It, it, just, it holds diesel and a lot of it. So you're like, there standing next to the truck forever as you fill up with gas. So we're in this truck, it's, a, it's sponsored by Penske or something. And so we're at a gas station. This guy pulls up in a U-Haul. He's towing something and he's filling gas. And, you know, us, us truckers, we talk to one another. And so, so I'm standing at the pump and this guy goes, hey, where are you headed? And I was like, oh, we're going to Oregon. What about you? And he says, "Oh, we're we're going to Alaska, you know." And I thought my journey was long, and this guy is like going to Alaska. I'm like, "Where are you headed from?" He goes, "Florida," and I'm like, "Oh my lands, is it? That's just like the worst." He said, "I wanted a Penske truck, but um, they don't have they don't have an outlet in Alaska," which, by the way, you may want to know someday that Penske has no outlet in Alaska. So I come home. I'm telling this story to someone who will be unnamed, and said, so, yeah, he's, he's moving to Alaska, driving to Alaska. And they said, can you drive to Alaska? And I'm like, I, I'm sorry, I'm not, I'm not sure of the question. Um, but isn't Alaska, I mean, how, how would you drive? You can't drive to Alaska. And I'm like, I, my mind is kind of spinning. I'm trying to figure out even the question, much less the answer. And, uh, and I'm like, I, I'm sorry, I don't understand. On the maps, on the U.S. maps, Alaska is, there's, there's no way to drive to Alaska. And I'm like, are you serious? I'm like, yeah, it's separated. Look, look at the map. It's, it's an island. And I'm like, I'm sorry. Hawaii is an island. Alaska, not so much. As a matter of fact, this is what the map should look like. It's a long way. But it's up there and it's connected. Somehow, we believe things that aren't true. And if you try and argue with someone over something they believe is true or not true, wow, is it hard. It, is, it doesn't matter if it's true or not, it's true to them. And it's become a belief system for them. I found that so much in the gift of tongues. Where somebody believes something because somebody else taught them that. That they hang on to that belief, even in the face of what does Scripture say about this this gift? So, what is the purpose of tongues? Why? Why why have this gift, really? Well, the Bible has some clear reasons. It's communion with God. You're speaking to God. You're communing with Him. That's what speaking with someone is, right? Communing. That's what we're going to do when we come to the table later. We're communing. It's the table of the Lord provides us an opportunity to commune with our Creator, for God to speak to us, for us to walk with Him. It's, uh, it's for self-edification. You know, this seems to people to be really a stumbling block, the whole idea of self-edification. It seems so selfish, right, for self-edification. But the Bible has no problem with you building yourself up in the Lord, with you being strengthened In the Lord, by the Spirit, Um, some of us—I would contend—some of us here today, we need more self-edification. In in the Lord, why? Because we think so badly of ourselves, because we've sinned so poorly and stumbled so many times that we need to recover. And and I was—I'm going to give you the scripture passage, um, by the way. It talks about this. There we go. <laughs> Keep smiling. <laughs> he who speaks in a tongue edifies himself. It's part of the tongue. Now, you may say, well, how does this help the body of Christ? Well, if a, chain on a, if a link on a chain is weak, the whole chain is weak, right? In my mind. If, my, if a part of my body hurts then it affects all of me. So I think self-edification, we we can be strong because we're strong. In other words, we need the process of building one another up, but at the same time, strengthening ourselves. And by the way, I hope you're writing these down because I I don't have time to really dwell on these or you may want to go listen to them later or I'll send you the notes if you want them. Um, It's also a, a, a sign, a sign. What was the sign of? Um, it, according to Peter, when he preaches the sermon on the day of Pentecost, he say he, it's an eschatological sign. This is what Joel talked about. This is the evidence of the Spirit coming. This is the end time inaugurated. It's a sign of what God is doing. And Paul then comes back to it as a sign. Not for believers, actually, but for unbelievers. So, even in Acts 2, it was a sign for unbelievers that the end had been inaugurated and was here. And in Paul, it's a sign to unbelievers that you're just out of your mind. If it's not interpreted. Now, that's a difficult discussion. I'm going to come back to it in two weeks, four weeks. So, you've got to come back to hear why that is. Um, So... Here's the the idea about the sign. Tongues can either attract unbelievers as at Pentecost, if it's interpreted, or it can drive them away and harden their hearts, letting them know you're crazy. So there are many cautions in 1 Corinthians 14 about tongues in public worship. And I'm just going to go through these next things real quickly, and they're this. What tongues are not? Because some of us believe that tongues are these things, but they're not. Tongues are not the sign of being filled with the Spirit. Uh, I, I believe this firmly. Um this is something we teach here at fullness. If you want to believe different, it, it's no problem. Um, the The typical Pentecostal definition is this: Have you been baptized in the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in tongues? And I, I understand. Um, There are a couple of Acts passages, but you've seen all the Acts passages that talk about it, and not every one of them speaks of coming to know the Spirit with the evidence of speaking in tongues. There's a whole historical context for how this developed. Uh, It's really a a, a theology of the last 120 years, not of the history of the church, Uh, but we embrace the gift of the Spirit, but we don't believe it is the sign of being filled with the Spirit. I think there were other stronger passages that talk about the fruit of the Spirit. And um, My friend Jack Taylor, um, he was a mentor to me. He used to say, do you want to know what the sign of being filled with the Spirit is? You want to know what it is? He, and of course, he'd say, yeah, I want to know. Be, and he would always go, trouble. <laughs> trouble, that's the sign that you've been filled with the Spirit. When you have problems and difficulties. By the way, tongues are not a sign of being spiritual or spiritually mature. I was talking to, to, to someone today, Scott. That's his name, his name. Anyway, he was talking about how there was a time in his life where he, because he didn't speak in tongues, he felt like a, he wasn't spiritually mature. He had picked that up. He'd been born, basically born and raised in this church. And somehow, within the context of some folk, He had picked up this idea that if you didn't speak in tongues, you weren't as. And you know what? This is the problem that the Corinthian church was having too. They were separating people out based on tongues between those who were like um, first class, business class, Christian passengers, and those of us who have to ride in the back. Tongues are, by the way, not the exclusive domain of Christianity. And I, I'm just throwing this in there. Anything God can do, the, imiti- the enemy can imitate. It's always a weak imitation. It doesn't, doesn't have the same power. It always takes. It doesn't give. Lots of things, but don't, don't be. And the only reason I say this is because some people have said, you know, the, the, those Hindus, they, they speak in tongues. It means we can't do it. No, no, no. Let's take back what God gave us. You know, just because something can, has been robbed of us, you know, the, them Hindus, they do music too. I, you know, with that, the argument makes no sense to me uh, that because somebody is imitating something or doing it badly or in a demonic role that we don't at the same time say, hey, God has given this gift and it's pure, it's holy, it's got a purpose, it's got a plan, let's go for it. Um, and I'm going to say this as well. Tongues should never be a test of fellowship. Um, there are too many churches who have divided over this issue in history because it is Christ plus nothing, ultimately, that, that puts us in this. All right. <clears throat> I'm, what is the, what's the goal here? What is the purpose? What's the plan? Why walk in this gift? This is the house my son moved into. It's a cute little house in Oregon. Got a park across the street. It's it's really, really, it's beautiful. Um, the day we moved in, now Oregon is way north of us, right? You all know that? You want me to go back to the map? <laughs> <laughs> By the way, you can't drive there, but uh, it's way north of us, and uh, it's much cooler. But the day we moved in, it was 95 degrees. It was in that incredible heat wave in the middle of summer. There you've got the doors open. you got all these soccer players helping you move furniture in and out, praise God. So it was going quick, but it was hot, and we were sweating. And sometime during the day, they left and um, went to the thermostat, turned it on cool, turned it down. We're just letting it roll, and... About midway through the day, Jared and I are upstairs putting together. Now, this is the completed project. This is the bunk bed um, my daughter-in-law Sarah bought. Now, that's a completed project, but this is, a, this is like a bunk. This is like Ikea on steroids. I swear to you, they cut stuff off just so you'd have to put it back together. Uh, it, it had a billion parts. When I laid it out on the floor, Jared and I did, I'm like, there could not be more. Par- We're building an ark. Or a house, we're not building a bunk bed here. Anyway, we're building this thing. I mean, we're sweating like crazy. And I, I said to Jared, I don't think your air's working. And he's like, you know, I don't think the AC is working either. We feel air running out of the vents, but it's not cold and we're like, eh. so at some point he said, I'm texting my landlord because he's renting this house and say, hey, I don't think the AC is being very effective. And Jared gets the text back and says, that's because you don't have AC. And Jared's like, he looks at me, and the horror on his face was like, I just, I just moved my wife 3,000 miles across the country. And I'm like, well, let's talk about it a little bit. And he texts the guys at work, hey, you're not going to believe this. This house I have, it doesn't have AC. And the guys at work text him back and say, neither does your office. Um, <laughs> As a matter of fact, almost no homes up here have A.C. And Jared goes, what place is this that we've moved that has no A.C.? And he's like, how how am I going to tell my wife that we have no A.C.? She's downstairs doing the dishes. We're upstairs putting the bed together. I said, Jared, look, I've got years of experience in counseling people and helping couples navigate through difficult situations. I would text her. <laughs> yeah, so we're laughing. Yeah, I text her. So, uh, and about two minutes later, we hear this. What? Are you kidding me? Coming from downstairs. He actually did text her. Sometimes things get lost in interpretation. Sometimes we lose we think something is when it isn't and isn't where it is. And we need God's power and presence every moment of every day in order to navigate all these challenges. You know, there are some guidelines that the Bible talks about for use of tongues. I mean, they're pretty clear in First Corinthians 14 um, that should do it one at a time, no more than two or three um, must if it's in public worship where unbelievers are present, you've got to have someone there to interpret. Others should weigh what is being what's being said. And then there's a whole list of things about interpretation of tongues. It, it the interpretation is a gift of the Spirit, and it's into a known language. In other words, it doesn't make sense to have a tongue that's not understood and somebody else to speak another tongue that's not understood and somebody else to speak another tongue that's not understood. Somebody's got to have the interpretation of what's going on. Um, Also, it's got to, it's meant to result in everybody being edified. Tongues are for the edification of the individual. Interpretation are for the edification of everybody. Let me say this again. It is not the same as prophecy. Why do you say that, Pastor Bart? Well, because I've been in services where I've heard someone speak a tongue, and here's the interpretation. Thus saith the Lord. And every time that happens, I'm like, I don't think that's it. (laughs) Why? Because prophecy is speaking from, it's talking about what God is saying. Tongues and interpretation is speaking of the wonders of God, the mysteries of God, the praise of God. And so some corrective word coming out of a tongue. this is me from looking at the biblical sources. It could be God can do whatever God wants to do. But I don't see it as the same of prophecy. Some people say tongues and interpretation equals prophecy. And I don't, I don't think that's, that's the case. Otherwise, why do the tongue and the interpretation? Who can interpret? This one used to bother me too all the time until I actually looked at the word of God. The one who gives the tongue can interpret. You're like, well, why did they just go straight to the interpretation? I don't know. This is the way God chose to do it. They spoke the tongue. And it says in 1 Corinthians 14 that the person who gives the tongue should pray that he can interpret it. So it's okay for the person who gives the tongue to then interpret it or somebody else can't. Have I been really clear on this? Y'all got all this straight so far? Again, I I think that there's an element here that says, you know what? I'm gonna, I have faith in God. I I have to be honest. Praying in tongues in prayer has been greatly beneficial for me. It has edified me. It is it has helped me in strength in my relationship with God it it, it's encouraged me when I can't I'm just there are times I'm so beat up I I I don't know what to say to God in words or how to put it into words and there's something about praying and singing in tongues that breaks through in my life it's it's hard to explain And you know what? I didn't want it for a long time because I didn't want to be one of them, you know, them, them people that fell off into the deep end. I'm one of them in the sense of saying, you know what, this is a gift of God and every gift of God is good and perfect if it actually comes from him. You may not completely understand it, but I want to encourage you to at least explore the possibility that God may have gifts he wants to release in your life that you can't even imagine what he would do with them because it's his power that is at work within us. Look at these passages just to close. It says, follow the way of love and do what? eagerly desire. It doesn't say eagerly desire, hey, service or giving. Eagerly desire the spiritual gifts, all of them. Passionately pursue. Paul goes on and says, I would like every one of you to speak in tongues. So here's my thought. Either Paul is just blowing smoke or he's lying or he wishes we all spoke in tongues because there's got to be some benefit to it. And he says, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. Okay, great. I'm going to fall in the tradition of Paul. That's fine with me. He goes on and says this. Be eager to prophesy and do not what? Don't forbid, Don't forbid speaking in tongues. God, give us grace. Grace. God encourage us. God release in us all the gifts that he desires for us to walk in. What is is going to be your takeaway from this this morning? And I know I've gone for a long time. I apologize, but not. um, In that, I want us to be pursuing, actively pursuing what God has for us. I want us to get over our passive Christianity. I want us to, to break through out of the laziness and the mediocrity that many times we bring to our faith and instead say God I want everything you've got for me not just for me but in order that the body of Christ is built up because the manifestations of the spirit have been given to each one for the common good let it be so When you come to the table of the Lord this morning, you're recognized, you you take this bread, which represents the body of Christ, and you take it into your mouth, and, and it dissolves, you eat it, and it permeates every cell in your body. It goes to everything that you are. And so when you come to the table of the Lord and you partake of the body of Christ, you're saying, I want whatever God wants all through me. And you're declaring that because of that, we all, have, we all partake of the same body. That means we're all one. It all comes back to the unity of Christ, uh, the, by the, the love of Christ, by the unity and power of the Holy Spirit. We're one. And then we take of the cup, which rec, uh, is a symbol, and more so, of the blood of Christ that forgives our sins. When we come to the table of the Lord, we come to remember that we are the body of Christ. This is not merely a religious symbol that we go through. This is an encounter with the living God. One of the things I'm asking you to pray about is to say, Spirit of God, fill me up afresh and anew today. Release in me every gift that you desire for me to walk in. If you're a guest here at Fullness and you're a follower of Jesus Christ, we invite you to the table of the Lord. If you're here today, you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, we'd encourage you to just stay where you are. Um, you can participate by prayer, but this is a, this is the table of the Lord for those who are followers of faith in him. But if you're a follower of Jesus from whatever background you come from, you're invited to participate in um, the table of the Lord as the body of Christ. Stand up with me. Our elders are going to come forward and prepare the table and their wives Our worship team is going to come. These middle sections will come down the middle sections, outside sections down the outside sections. Lord, we thank you today that we are the body of Christ. We who were many are now one. And we ask, oh Lord, that you would use us, you would do in us all that you want to do by your power, by your might, by your direction. Lord, during this time, we pray that, God, you would order our steps. And that we would follow after you. Release in us your power, your might, your presence, your gifts. May the fruit of the Spirit be manifested in all that we do. Holy Spirit, meet us here at the table of the Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Come to the table of the Lord. Take the bread and the cup back to your place and we'll all take it together.